Hi guys, this is Erica Weston with Fox Sports Midwest, and you're listening to my favorite St. Louis Blues hockey podcast, Let's Go Blues Radio. Hi there, everyone. I'm Haley Wickenheiser, and this is Let's Go Blues Radio, past to the future. I need one win. What are you going to do to get me that? Selfish hockey. That's right. Selfish hockey. Break it down. Skate the puck. Don't pass it. Headman's still going to be there when you catch up, boy. Take it coast to coast. Shots from poor angles are still shots. Fuck and a half, two minute shifts, three minutes even. Cruise the blue line to catch your breath. Bad bounce, that's a good breakaway. Gotta get the bounces, boys. This is Let's Go Blues Radio, Past to the Future. This is Season 8, Episode 71, Franchise Episode number 257, All Time. Of course, as I start every show, I want to give a big thanks to Julio Cesar in Brazil. Make sure you check out his YouTube channel. Uh, he is the uh, the artist from the wonderful music you are hearing here in the background. Uh, you can find a link to his YouTube page on our show page over at letsgoblues.com slash radio as well as the video that accompanies this episode over on our YouTube page. So make sure you check that out. Also remember that our videos for this are now also on Facebook. So if you like us over there on uh, Let's Go Blues on the Facebook page, uh, that's where you can also find the video of the past portion of these episodes uh, because I've been doing some video with uh, those people. So it's, uh, it's made it a little more fun. And uh, something you'll want to check out if you're interested in uh, uh, seeing a lot of these guys on camera. Also, uh, remember that uh, we do our live shows now on Facebook as well. We, we introduced our last live show on Facebook, and we are now doing those live every time on Facebook as well as YouTube. So multiple ways for you to catch us when we are live, and you can also stream it afterward uh, to check out the show on there as well. Well, let's get right into this episode, folks. Uh, we've got a really fun couple of guests here, uh, past and future, both great guests. Joe Micheletti is our first one, and most Blues fans know who that is, but if you don't, uh, he was the longtime broadcast voice for the St. Louis Blues, also a former defenseman, played in the Bernie Federko era, also played in the WHA, which we talk about. Uh, currently, he is with MSG Network covering the New York Rangers alongside Sam Rosen, one of the uh, the best duos in for my book uh, in the game. So uh, uh, definitely a, a good time talking to Joe. It was really cool of him to come on. Uh, and folks, you know, you, you never should go away after the past portion of the show. But if you ever do, don't do it this week. Uh, Peter Harling joins me. Uh, Peter is a guy who works for Dauber Prospects, a uh, guy that actually uh, I know pretty well. Uh, we we used to work together in some capacity. Uh, he is a uh, fantasy hockey talk kind of expert, um, and he, he's, he's good with uh, young players as well. So if you're looking at young players and you're thinking, okay, you know, I want a, a late pick in my fantasy draft, somebody who I could maybe keep for the next season – and might be a breakout star, 
you'll want to follow Peter Harling. Uh, Peter knows his stuff about young players and especially the fantasy angle. So we talk a lot about, uh, and, and this just isn't about one particular player. We talk about Clem Costin, Scott Perunovich, uh, Jordan Cairo. Are these guys worthy of possibly being drafted late in your fantasy hockey draft for the 2020-2021 season? Um, worth checking out, folks. Again, if you play fantasy hockey, uh, this was something that, uh, was was very interesting for me because I am an avid hockey player, a uh, fantasy hockey player, and I know a lot of our listeners are as well. So again, don't uh, don't leave after the past portion of the show. Make sure you stay for Peter Harling. Well, here we go, folks. The first installment of our show, Mister Joe Micheletti. and we are back with the past portion of Let's Go Blues Radio, Past to the Future. I am joined. Uh, I've been joined by some pretty awesome people so far for this whole uh, process during the COVID nineteen break. Um, we've talked about this gentleman that we've had on with Ken Wilson and Bernie Federko. Uh, Joe Micheletti joins the show. He's a former Blues defenseman and he was a Blues analyst in the nineteen nineties. Also spent some time as an assistant coach with the Blues. Now with MSG Network. Joe, thank you very much for joining the show. Hey Jeff, always a pleasure. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. I'm even hearing your voice. I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm going back to the days of Ken Wilson and Joe McAlady on the microphone. That was, uh, you know, those were just some great days. And I think I think back of uh, of those times, and really, it was it was fairly early in my in my career. I was I was lucky enough to get started in the broadcast business by the by the great uh, Dan Kelly, and we lost him way too young. But what a way to to uh, to get started in the business! Then at that time it was almost all radio, um, and uh, so Dan and I spent a, a couple of years together. And then, as you mentioned, I I went in the coaching business for a while, and then uh, had a chance to get back into television. And so uh, I had spent one year in Minnesota uh, televising the North Stars, and uh, and then came back and then uh, stayed in St. Louis. I was living in St. Louis and commuting. But then I had an opportunity to to go back to St. Louis and um, and work alongside Ken Wilson, which was just uh, you know a great a great thrill for me. We had a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and I think Blues fans, many of them say, myself included, those were the best days of Blues broadcast. Listen, John Kelly, uh, Darren Pang do wonderful job right now. But uh, harking back to the days of Ken Wilson and Joe Micheletti, I know that uh, a lot of times we talk about. Those days on this show, the Hall and Oates era, um, and then of course just uh, the the time you spent uh, with Mike Keenan here, and uh, just some great times for Blues broadcasts. It's a shame we didn't get eighty two games of you guys every year, but uh, that was a lot of fun. And, and I know Blues fans are, are pretty excited when I told a couple of them that you were coming on the show because uh, they don't get the MSG network out here. So uh, hearing your voice, I'm sure will will bring back some good memories for them. Well, that's you know that's that's nice of you to say, and again. You know, I, I was so lucky because uh, to get started in a business I knew nothing about with Dan Kelly, and uh, who really, who really taught me what you have to do to uh, to work and to treat this as a new profession, and and don't think just because you played the game that uh, that you can continue to refer to that and get by. You can't if you want to be good at it. So so Dan gave me a hard, a lot of really hard, tough lessons cared about me and uh, cared enough to uh, to want to teach me and I, I and I respected his profession and 
what he, you know, the, the way he works uh, so much that I just uh, basically did whatever he told me to do. And he taught me how to work. He taught me how to prepare. Uh, and uh, and that was something that, that to this day, um, I still do the same things, even though I'm in an industry that continues to change and people want to want uh, broadcasters to do different things. So, so that was the, you know, that was the, uh, the basis and the, and, and the base learning for me and the core learning to get started in the business. And then, as I mentioned, when I went back to St. Louis, uh, and had a chance to work with Ken, uh, who had, you know, one of the great broadcast voices, uh, uh, also. And, and, uh, and he was so passionate that when we just, you know, we just got along, we hit it off. We, we understood, you know, what the other, person um was supposed to do and how they were going to contribute to the broadcast and and so that was uh that was a lot of fun and i you know and i appreciate the nice words but i you know i i've had so much respect for john kelly and and uh for their whole their whole broadcast crew with darren pang and and uh bernie and everyone else that's uh, bruce affleck all the people that have contributed to that over the years and they're still one of the best listens in the national hockey league so uh, St. Louis is, is lucky to have that group to, to listen to. That's for sure. Yeah. You mentioned Dan Kelly. Um, you know, obviously his son, uh, other son, Dan P. Kelly, uh, broadcasts up in Chicago. We had him here down in St. Louis for a while. And then obviously, like you said, John Kelly, it's funny because every now and then when you hear their voices, uh, sometimes when they get excited, sometimes if, uh, they're kind of monotone, you do hear the Dan Kelly senior coming out. So that, uh, I'm sure for you, uh, you know, I don't know how close you are to the Kelly family now, but uh, learning your trade from one of the best to ever call the game, Dan Kelly, uh, has to be special for you. Well, I, I consider Dan Kelly is the greatest hockey broadcaster of all time. So, you know, you start there, and uh, and I'm not just saying that because I, I worked with him, but uh, there's a lot of people in this game that had worked with Dan over the years, both on Canadian television, U.S. television, radio, you name it. And he was the voice of the National Hockey League for so many years. And, uh, you know, I know people, especially up in Canada, talk about Danny Gallivan and, you know, and then there's and Bob Cole and, and, and there's other and some great broadcasters. But, you know, most people feel that Dan Kelly was the best. He was the best of all time. And so, um, and so to, uh, you know, to get asked by Dan, to come into the business and him telling me, listen, you're not going to make any money, but we'll have some fun and I'll try and teach you and you'll get yourself back in the game again because I'd been out of the game for, uh, for a little while. And, uh, and he said, I think we'd be, I think we'd be good. And so I said, okay. And he was right. I didn't make much money. And, um, uh, but you know, his, his way of teaching me and I was wide eyed and, and I, and I, I really did want to learn. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be regarded as just another ex jock that, you know, would go up to the broadcast booth and tell everybody how great I was and which I wasn't, but, um, <laughs> but I, I wanted to, I wanted to learn a new profession and I wanted to, um, use whatever experiences I had to help that, but I never wanted to be a player that, you know, or, or a, I never wanted to be a broadcaster that uh, would get to the booth and say, well, when I played and when I did this, and I, and I just think people, you know, at, at some point we're going to say, okay, we get it, enough. <laughs> okay, give us something else. 
know, so 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 Dan was just he was just so tremendous with me, Jeff, because we would have these you know these sessions after games, and you know, and I, I you know they just I remember them like they were like like they were yesterday, and we you know we go back to the 1980s when we started and and we worked together and. Uh, and, and we would we would go out for dinner after games, you know, on the road in particular. And he would, you know, he would say to me after we'd have a, a beer, he'd say, "Well, Joe," he said, "You really embarrassed yourself tonight." <laughs> and he would just that's that that was Dan. And I said, uh, "Okay, uh, <laughs> how did I how did I do that?" And he and he would tell me. He would say, "When I asked you about this player in the first period." You had you gave me nothing, <laughs> and then in the second period, I asked you about their you know about the power player, the special teams, and what they were, and you gave me nothing. And in the third period, I you know you gave me nothing. And he said, when I ask you something, you better be prepared. And so that's where you know that's where I learned to work, and that's where I learned to be prepared and to. You know, and to study the game, and to talk to coaches, and to talk to players, and and uh, uh, I remember a, a gentleman who I got started with actually in television, a guy by the name of John Shannon. Uh, when I went to Minnesota to, to work television games, which was my first year, ninety two, ninety three, I believe it was, working television. Who, who and and John had worked with Dan Kelly up in uh, on Hockey Night in Canada, and John moved from from Calgary to Minnesota to, you know, run the television there. And I remember John telling me a story, uh, and not a story. He just said to me one day, he said, he said, this is the thing about being an analyst in the game. Your job is 24 hours. It never ends. There's always another story, you know, to find. There's always something else to get. So it's just, it's a nonstop. You can't, you can't stop because you might have a good story, but if you keep working at it, there's probably a pretty good chance you're going to get a better story. Right. And so, so I was really, I was really fortunate to, uh, to start with Dan, uh, then to get that help from John Shannon, who was our producer. And then, you know, and then to move on and, and work with Ken and all the other people. I mean, I just, you know, I've been lucky enough because most of the people I've worked with have all been hall of famers. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that makes it uh, a pretty fortunate position for me. Yeah, I, and uh, when we had Ken Wilson on, I asked him, you know, why people, why, in his opinion, why people thought uh, you and, and, and Ken did such a good job on the call together. And he said that it was just that you were so crafted and you were so great that he just did things to make sure to set you up to sound great. And, uh, you know, of course I told him, well, I think you had a little something to do with it there, Ken, but uh, – you know, I, I think uh, he he definitely sung your praises, and and maybe it sounds like uh, Dan Kelly was the one that kind of molded you to be able to be that good. Yeah, Dan Dan was the one that got me started and gave me an idea because the first the first game that Dan and I ever worked together was a preseason game in Peoria, Illinois, where the Blues had their farm team at the time. Right, and it was uh, the Blues in Detroit, and you know I had never worked a game before. I didn't know the first thing about it. And you know how it is in St. Louis. We all got so spoiled listening to Jack Buck. Yep. And, and when Bob Costas was there and Dan Deerdorf doing the sports open lines and Dan Kelly and, you know, you go down the line of all these great broadcasters that we had in St. Louis. And the, and the thing about them 
is that when you would watch the games or you would listen to games on the radio or you would listen to sports open lines, they made it sound like it was just a conversation that they were having and that you just so you had this you had this feel, at least I did anyway, which was the mistake I made. You just had this feel that, okay, I know how to do this. I'll just go into the booth and when it's my turn to talk, I'll talk. And and I was I was so wrong because what you get to understand by going through that working process is how great these how great these guys were because you knew how hard they worked to make it sound like it was just something coming off the top of their head. But this was all, you know, hard work and research and talking to people and, you know, that that helped them prepare and become as great as they were. So. Uh, so I was one like so many other St. Louisans who were spoiled by the great broadcasters there, but I learned very quickly in that first game when Dan threatened to fire me if I ever <laughs> said something again. <laughs> and he did. It's actually a true story. And I'll tell it to you briefly because I, I know I'm rambling on here, but you know, when you ask me about these things, I get so, there's so many things that come to mind <laughs> and I, I get so appreciative of, uh, of all the people. But the first game that we worked in that game in Peoria, it was about seven minutes into the first period, and the Blues scored, and Dan, you know, he had that patented uh, that that patented goal call of his, and he was right in the middle of it when I said something, and he looked at me, <laughs> and he went to a commercial break, and he said to me, he said, "If you ever do that again, you're fired." <laughs> and I said, "What did I do?" He said, "Don't talk when I'm talking." <laughs> so I learned. So I learned a, you know, I learned a lesson. But, but again, this was, you know, I don't want Dan to come up and sound like uh, he was mean spirited. He wasn't at all. In fact, what he was was this is someone that cared so much about his profession that when you came into his office, which was the broadcast booth, you be, you better be ready to to be professional which is what he taught me. There's two teams out there. Don't be a homer. Be professional and be prepared, and that's how you do a game. And so that's what he taught me, and it's something I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget. And so then, you know, to you know, go from there to, you know, to then with, with Ken Wilson, and I appreciate what Ken says, but he's so full of crap. <laughs> you know, I was, I was the one. I was the one that would sit there and listen to Ken. And I, I would have to almost pinch myself and remind myself that I'm working because he had such a fabulous call that, uh, and, and what he, what he did that is, you know, that was, that was done so well that a lot of broadcasters have trouble doing this because they never want to stop talking. They, there's a lot of, there's a lot of play by play. Uh, broadcasters out there that not only want to do the game, but they want to analyze and they want to tell stories and they, you know, they, they, they don't want to share the microphone. And that's, you know, and Ken was one who, you know, knew that, uh, that he was going to call the game and that he's right. He would set me up for stories that we either talked about or that, uh, you know, we, the information we got together and talking to coaches or players. And, but he, he allowed me to do my thing and it just, it, it worked because I didn't want to do what he did and he didn't want to do what I did, but we cared about how good the broadcast was along with, 
you know, the rest of our crew. And you can't you can't be good unless you have a great crew. And we certainly did that. Yeah, no, 100%. Like I said, I think uh, the entire production of watching old 90s games of the Blues was uh, something to behold. I mean, really kind of, to me at least, ahead of its time uh, in terms of the coverage that we got here in St. Louis. We were spoiled. You're seeing it more now, um, the kind of a- analyzing of the game you see. But back then, you know, you watch other broadcasts. It wasn't always like that. And uh, I think Blues games, it definitely was uh, with, with Ken's just fluid good voice on the microphone and then your analyst uh, uh, skills coming into play um, definitely made it uh, something worthwhile for blues fans. And uh, I wanted to, to go ahead and uh, ask you about when you left St. Louis in uh, 1998 to join the New York Islanders. Um, what made that decision for you? I know that you had, like you'd said, kind of made St. Louis home at that point. Uh, what made you decide to, uh, to go work for the Islanders? Well, it was it was um, <clears throat> it was interesting times because what had happened was that in 1998, while I was doing uh, uh, Blues games that that February, uh, I was working the Winter Olympics in Nagano, Japan, and while I was at the Olympics, I received a call from Madison Square Garden, and um, and you know they asked me they they said, listen, we we know your work. We'd like you to come to New York and work with us. And I said, to do what? And they said, um, we want you to, to be the analyst on New York Islander games. And I said, well, you already have an analyst. And they said, yeah, yes, but we're going to make a change. And I said, oh, wait a second. Eddie Westfall, who was the analyst for those, for those games, uh, was a good friend of mine. And, you know, I'd gotten to know Eddie over the years and, and he had the job. And, you know, I, I, in this business, there's always somebody waiting to take your job. Right. And so, uh, I said, I said, well, that job's not available. I said, have you told Eddie this or has, have you had that conversation? And they said, well, no. <laughs> I said, well, listen, I said, Eddie's a friend of mine and I'm not going to talk about a job that's not available. So that was the end of the conversation. So then what happened was in, it was either in June or July, I believe it was July, uh, you know, about five, six months later, uh, I get a call again from them. And, you know, they basically said the same thing. And I said, I said, well, I said, I said the, the job was at least from what I know is not available. And they said, yes, we've already talked to Eddie about it and it is available. So I said, well, I'm not going to, I said, first of all, I'm under contract here in St. Louis. And I said, I'm not going to even talk to you about this, uh, until I talk to Eddie. So I, we hung up and I, and I, and I called Eddie and I said, listen, Eddie, I got, a, I got a phone call from, from MSG and they, they're talking about, about this job that you have. I said, is that true that you've talked to them? And, and, uh, and he said, he said, yes. He said, I've already talked about it. So he said, you know what I said? I just don't want to work this. I just don't want to work as much anymore. I don't want to travel as much. And so he said, I want to, I want to, I'm going to step down. Hmm. And I said, okay. I said, as long as I've got it from you. So, so then, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit, but you know, before, before any of that, I went to uh, Mark Sauer, who was, uh, uh, Mark Sauer was the president at the time. And, uh, because I was still, I was still under contract and, um, I'm trying to think who was running uh, Fox Sports uh, 
Jack. Uh, uh, anyway, he, uh, Jack uh, was, uh, I'll think of his name here in a second, but he was running Fox Sports. And so I first, I first went to, uh, to Mark and I just said, Mark, I said, I got a phone call about, you know, going to New York and working, you know, working for Madison Square Garden. Jack Donovan, and, by the way. Yes, Jack Donovan. Thank okay. you. Yep. Thank you. I apologize to Jack. That's, that's okay. For, for forgetting that. But, um, so, so I said to Mark, you know, I got a call. And he said, Joe, if Madison Square Garden ever called me to go work for them, he said, I would go. Hmm. That, that's, that's what he said. He said, it's one of the great opportunities that you'll ever get. He said, because the old saying is true. If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. And he said, it's, it's the media capital of the world. And if they want you, uh, they want you for a reason. So, um, he said, if you work that out, he said, you know what? He said, I'll, he said, oh, well, well, he said, you can go with my blessing. And, um, so I said, okay, thanks. You know, and that was, that was really kind of Mark. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do at the time. I mean, this was all, you know, I, my kids were young. My daughter was nine. My son was, or no, they were 11 and 13. My daughter was 11. My son was 13. You know, my wife from St. Louis, kids born in St. Louis. We've been there a long time. You know, it was, it, it, uh, you know, so it was just, a, it was, you know, some, some difficult conversations because, um, you know, you, I'm thinking of this opportunity uh, that I had, and you know, I'd already done some national work for Fox and and a few Olympics and that kind of thing, and so and so this was just uh, and so we talked about it. We thought, you know what? Why not give it a shot? You know, why not give it a shot? So so that's so that's what happened. It was tough because. It was, I was working for, uh, A.G. Edwards in the, in the, in the brokerage business and the investment business in St. Louis and was with some wonderful people. And of course, the, you know, working with Kenny and the crew we had, Tom, Tommy McLaughlin, God rest his soul, was our producer, um, for, for Blues Games. And Tim Paps, who is now the producer, was, was, uh, on our crew and, we just we just had a fabulous crew, and St. Louis is, was such a great place to live that it was just it was really really difficult, you know. And you know, so I kind of thought about what Mark said, and I thought, you know what, this is the opportunity will probably never come up again. And you know, so we decided that's that's how it worked. And they said, you know, they gave me their blessing, and uh, and uh, allowed me to to get out of my contract and. And give it a shot in New York. So that's how the whole thing kind of kind of worked out. But it started with a phone call when I was at the Olympics in Japan in 1998. So uh, your daughter Allison, I saw a bio of her, and she still calls St. Louis her hometown. Um, what about you? How often do you make it back to St. Louis outside of uh, you know covering uh, Rangers or Islanders games? Uh, not as much as I would like. Um, in fact, my wife and I, you know, have had just a you know, recent conversation about going back there because, um, we have a son, our oldest, uh, our oldest child, uh, his, his name is Adam, uh, moved back to St. Louis about two and a half years ago. So they live in, uh, um, out west in, in, um, 
uh, Wildwood, hmm. and they just uh, he and his wife just had uh, have a daughter that just turned three on this past Saturday, and so uh, we've been wondering, you know, is it safe? Uh, we don't want to get anybody sick. We don't want to get sick. Uh, we've got these games coming up that we're hoping that the NHL starts again. So I've got to really be careful not to uh, not to get sick. And of course, New York is the hot spot for the virus. And so um, I don't get I don't get back there enough. But I still have I still have a lot of friends. In fact, you know, just this morning, um, uh, I've got you know one of my good friends back there, Sam Aliotto. We we spent about 15 minutes on the phone uh, this morning. You know, talking about he's, he was saying the same thing. When are you coming back? We can yeah. play golf, and we can you know do that. So I, I, we still have uh, we still have so many friends back there. My my wife has friends from when she was you know these are lifelong friends that she's had since she was just a child and went to school with, and she's still in she's still in touch with these friends. They send Christmas uh, you know uh, birthday cards, and they, they 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 speak all the time, and so. We have a lot of ties back in St. Louis, and but generally because of my schedule, uh, I don't get much of a chance to uh, to get back there as often as I would like. So, uh, but I was back there for the All Star game this year, which was uh, which was tremendous to work that. And saw some friends and had some dinner, but but generally when you when you work, you, you don't have a great deal of free time. But uh, uh, we hope to get back there soon. That's for sure. Did you come in at all for the uh, the Stanley Cup, uh, either the final, the parade, anything like that? Well, not the parade, but I worked the Stanley Cup final on national radio for Westwood One. Okay. So I was there. Yeah. So I was there throughout, and that was that was such a that was such a thrill for me, um, just to be back there because, you know, just because of all the years that I uh, lived there, and all the connections that I uh, have re- have stayed in touch with and friends that. So many of them were were original blue season ticket holders and and just longtime fans of the team that you know were went through so many disappointments. You know the Blues were so close on so many good teams and never able to win the Stanley Cup. So to you know to experience that and be able to call the games uh, was something that was uh, or so it was something that it just it, it's one of the highlights of my career. It really is that. I didn't come in for the parade because I just, you know, I, I just, I just felt that, you know, that was for that team and those players, and I didn't think that, you know, I belonged there, and so, you know, it was it was theirs, and it was for the fans to enjoy that team, and uh, and of course Brett Hall. I mean, it's you know, um, you know, and. Uh, even though he's not he's not associated with the franchise anymore, but uh, that was important for him to be a part of that. So, but uh, but not for me. So it was just, but I enjoyed it from a distance. Uh, Brett Hall, somebody we all call in St. Louis now, everyone's favorite drunk uncle. So <laughs> he definitely had a great time with it, and and uh, he was kind of the the face of the jubilation that Blues fans saw. And, and I know talking to a lot of the alumni I've talked to. Uh, that it was just as exciting for them too. So I'm sure you uh, probably caught up with a lot of uh, your old teammates uh, that probably came in town for the Stanley Cup final as well. Yeah, I, I did. Again, there was a, there was always work to to, to do, but uh, but I remember the I think it was the, the Blues' first home game 
when they had so many of the alumni that uh, that came in for that. I know there's they still have a great presence in the city uh, because so many have stayed there for good reason. And then there were a, you know, a group of others that came into town and uh, were hosted by by the Blues ownership, which was you know was very thoughtful on their part. And and when I first when I first uh, went to St. Louis, um, and I bought a house out in West County, and my two roommates that lived with me were, were Perry Turnbull and mm. Mike Liute. Mm. And so, uh, so we had, you know, we just had a couple of years of marvelous times there. And so we took a picture together, uh, you know, that, that first game, we, we all look a little bit different than we used to, <laughs> but it was, it was really fun getting caught up with, uh, with uh, with Perry and and uh, and Mike, I see every now and then on the road because he's still a player agent, and so. Uh, but there were so many, you know, so many other other uh, good people and great players that uh, were teammates. I was lucky enough to be a teammate with, so uh, uh, to catch up with them was really a, a special time. So again, you, uh, you talk about your playing days a little bit here. Let's get a little bit into that. Um, so again, you played for the Blues, but you also played. WHA and you played with the Rockies in the NHL but before you got there uh you uh, actually had Herb Brooks as a uh, as a head coach at the University of Minnesota and you were a member of the 1974 and 76 championship teams um everything that we've heard about Herb Brooks whether it's the movie Miracle or any of the documentaries we've seen um how true to life is everything that we've seen from Herb Brooks well, I I can't be totally accurate because I didn't I didn't see all of those. In fact, I have not watched the movie um, uh, about her miracle. Um, I, I will say this: I mean, here's the relationship that I had with Herb when I was a senior in high school, growing up in northern Minnesota, and Herb came to our to our house. It's about a four hour drive from Minneapolis St. Paul up to Hibbing, Minnesota, where I, where I grew up. And, you know, I heard came up because he wanted to talk to me about, you know, going to the University of Minnesota. And he spent, uh, he spent the first hour that he was there with my parents. And then he spent about 30 seconds with me and said, good to see you, we'll be in touch, and left. And so... Wow. But that was, that was, that was Herb. You know, he wanted to make sure that the family knew that if their, if their son was going to be involved with his program, uh, he wanted the parents to know what he was all about and what he thought was important and, uh, and the type of character he was. And so my parents fell in love with Herb, uh, that first visit. And I was 18 years old. And, and I, I didn't even know. I didn't hardly get a chance to talk to him. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and so fast forward to, you know, winning a couple of national championships. We lost another, we lost in 75, which was probably our best team. And we lost in the, in the national championship. And then that, that, uh, my senior year was, um, was when Rob McClanahan, Phil Vercota, uh, Stevie Kristoff, um, Eric Strobel, Billy Baker wasn't a freshman on that team, but he played on the team. Uh, Buzz Schneider and I became good friends because we played a couple of years together. 
And so, so many of those players that were freshmen or sophomores, my senior season, uh, went on to play for that 1980 team that, that won the gold medal. And so, um, so that was really, that was really neat to see, you know, what they ended up doing. I had already turned pro at that time and had blown out my knee. So I had my leg in a cast and watching what was going on in Lake Placid in 1980. Um, but Herb, um, when my, when my father passed away suddenly back in the early nineties, um, Herbie showed up up in him and he did, there was a, there was a blizzard in Minnesota, which to no one's surprise, right. but, uh, but Herb, uh, drove through a blizzard and, uh, came up to my father's wake and, um, you know, spent about two hours, two, three hours with, with us. And, uh, and this was in early April, so he was still, you know, working and things to do. And, but he took the time to do that. And, um, and so he became, he became like a brother to my, and I'm one of nine, nine kids. So he became like a brother to my, to my brothers and my two sisters. And he was like a son, you know, to my parents. And so, um, so he did that. It's something I'll never forget. And then, you know, back in, in 2005, when my mother passed, it was about 10, 12 years later, uh, he was working for Pittsburgh at the time, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, uh, I remember getting a call. He left a voice message on my phone and he said, uh, he said, he said, Joe, I'm just, he said, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom. Um, I just started, a, he said, I'm calling you from Montreal. I just started a, a three week, a scouting trip for, you know, for Pittsburgh. And I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to be there. And that's the message he left. So guess what? A day later, you know, wake up in northern Minnesota and we get another snowstorm. And guess who shows up? Herb. And so, so we had, you know, we had a, a special relationship. And I was his captain my senior year. And I learned a lot about the way he thought and the way he treated people and why he treated people different and, and the thought process as to how he could push certain players to be better and how he couldn't push others because they, they were too sensitive and how he would use certain players that he knew he could push, but he was really sending a message to somebody else. And it was, it was fascinating to, to hear you know, some of the things he did. He didn't tell me everything, obviously, because I would have taken it and become a great coach myself. <laughs> but, but it, but he, he, he gave me an opportunity. He opened the window a little bit to kind of look into his mind and get an idea of, of what his thought process was. He was a brilliant, he was a brilliant guy and, uh, and cared deeply about, about his players and their families. And he was way ahead of the game as far as, uh, as far as the game itself, I mean, he, he was a student. He became a student of the European game and the Russian game and the Czech game, um, you know, long before anybody else in the, in the U.S. and Canada for that matter. And what, in, even when I played for him, he tried to combine the, that, those styles with the North American style, puck possession. But as he used to say, he says, you got to have some street fighters on your team too to win. And so we had that combination and, uh, and he, uh, again, when I still think back in 1980, I just shake my head and wonder how the heck did he do it.
yeah, no kidding. Unbelievable. Um, still something that I watch and get shivers when I see, and I'm sure you're the same. Um, so, uh, again, after you leave uh, college, you you go on, play professionally. Uh, something that, again, I, I kind of brushed over this earlier that a lot of people may not realize about you is you actually played in almost as many WH game, WHA games as you did in the NHL. You were with the Calgary Cowboys and the Edmonton Oilers for 142 games in the WHA before moving to the NHL. Um, I'm just, I'm always interested when I look back at, at WHA and I think you, uh, I might be wrong here, but I think you might be the first person we've had that actually played in the WHA. So what was it, what was the difference like when you went from WHA to NHL? Is there a difference in play? Was it a huge uh, curve in terms of uh, skill and talent? And um, in terms of travel, anything like that, what, what was the difference between the two leagues like? Well, I, I played for, uh, you know, I played with Wayne Gretzky for a year. So if, in terms of talent, uh, it, it was fine. Uh, now, now, Wayne was only 18 at the time. But uh, I would say this. I mean, it was there's no question that it was a competing league. And Bobby Hall was the first big player to you know, uh, the, the first real marquee NHL player to leave the NHL and go to the World Hockey Association. And he went to Winnipeg and formed a line with, with two fabulous players and Ulf Nielsen and Anders Hedberg, uh, two, two great Swedish players that later on had wonderful years with the New York Rangers and were tremendous players and Lars Eric Schoberg on defense. So, uh, so the, the league was an, was an excellent league where there are as many, you know, high end top players in the World Hockey Association as there was in the National Hockey League. No, there weren't. But you know what it was? It was a, uh, it was a league where, uh, it gave, like it gave me an opportunity to play. And the reason I say that is because, you know, I was drafted. My rights were owned by the Montreal Canadiens in the National Hockey League. And, uh, at the time, you know, they were, you know, they, they had just, they had gone through, you know, winning four consecutive Stanley Cups. And I played defense. And here's who Montreal had on defense. <laughs> I, I won't name all of them because I can't, but I'll just give you a few names. Larry Robinson, uh, Guy Lapointe, Serge Savard, Brian Engblom, uh, Bill Nyrop, who was a Minnesota kid. Uh, and there were probably a few others. So here I was, and Montreal offered me a contract, but they offered me a two-way contract. Mm. And the contract was if I played, if I made their team, I, they would pay me $75,000 a year. If I didn't, then I'd play in the minors and make 25000 And so I looked at that lineup and I asked myself, what are the chances that you're going to unseat one of these defensemen who are just on the verge of winning four consecutive Stanley Cups? Mm. So now Calgary and the World Hockey Association that had my rights said, listen, we'll give you a one-way contract and we'll pay you 40000 We'll give you a signing bonus. They gave me a $15,000 signing bonus. I thought I was rich. Uh, and, and, uh, and a contract that paid me, I believe it was 40000 45000 you know, a two-year contract. Uh, but it gave me an opportunity to go there and play and to see if I could play. Because Herb Brooks told me before I left, he said, you better take that contract. He said, because you're not going to make it anyway. So you might as well take the money. <laughs> so, which was, you know, which is part of the way Herb liked to challenge. Me. So, 
so I so I went to Calgary. You know, I played. I don't know about twenty two games. It was after it was it was in March. I joined them after we lost out in the uh, in the in the playoffs with the, with the, with with the University of Minnesota. And so I played for the end of the season. Then Calgary folded. I ended up going to uh, to Edmonton for for two years, and uh, and it was a it was a fabulous experience. Glenn Sather uh, was our coach. He had just and coach and general manager. Uh, as I mentioned, you know Gretzky ended up joining us. You know we had we had you know a, a cast of characters uh, that Glenn would bring in uh, veteran players. You know, Ace Bailey, God rest his soul. You know, we lost him in 9-11 on one of the airplanes. Uh, but he was, he was one of our players. A cowboy flat that had all those years with the, with the flyers with the beard and the, you know, Paul Schmier on defense, Al Hamilton on defense. You know, we had, we had a really interesting, uh, group of players and we had a good team. We ended up losing in the championship in the final game that was ever played in the World Hockey Association and, and, uh, and the guy that scored the final goal in World Hockey Association history was a guy by the name of Dave Semenko, one of the great tough guys in the history of the league uh, and one of the greatest persons uh, that I had ever met in the game. And I happened to assist on that goal. He scored the final goal. And so it was it was a fabulous experience because there were some players that were getting another chance to play. There were young players like me that were drafted by good teams that are now, I, might, I might never had a chance to play a National Hockey League game if I had gone to Montreal. So it gave us an opportunity. And you know what? We wanted to prove to everybody else that this league could compete. And so we used to play, you know, preseason games against National Hockey League teams, and, and we did just fine. So it was just a, it was a wonderful experience. Um, I, I want to go ahead and give you a side note here that uh, I actually, uh, on my YouTube channel, got a hold of uh, that game. You're speaking of the last WHA game, uh, game seven of that series against Winnipeg. So if you've not seen it, I'll have to send you that link because I'm sure you would love to see that. You know, I saw it because um, we lost Dave Semenko about a year and a half ago, and uh, he died very suddenly. In fact, uh, you know, I, I had just seen him you know, months before, because he was scouting, he was a scout, a longtime scout for Edmonton. And, um, and I had seen him when Edmonton was in the playoffs that year. I, when I was working for NBC and I had that series, Edmonton and Anaheim, and Anaheim ended up beating Edmonton in the series. But so I would see Dave and, and I would see him two, three, four times over the course of, uh, over the course of the season, just in the press box. And he always made it a point to, you know, if he was going to be at the game to come to the booth and say hi. And he was a wonderful person and, and, uh, had gone through a lot of tough times in his life. And, and, uh, so anyway, he, I had seen him that spring and all of a sudden he died. He found out he had, he had pancreatic cancer hmm. and, uh, he just, he just died suddenly. And so when that happened, you know, my son Adam, um, you know, it, uh, found that that YouTube uh, that shift that last shift oh. and uh, and sent it to me so I, I did see it but I, I appreciate your offer of course yep um, no it's uh, it's always fun watching those old games when I see those kind of things I try to pass it on to the former players because I know uh, a lot of those are kind of lost in the shuffle of uh, TV stations and and the rights and NHL who has it that kind of thing so 
Um, Some of them should be lost, by the way. So <laughs> that, that I don't ever want you to find. Okay, I'll make sure. <laughs> that, that one I'll take. All right. <laughs> so again, you leave the WHA, and we're going a little over on time here. I hope that's uh, okay with you, Joe. But um, you good. you go on to the uh, NHL, play for the Blues and the Rockies. Um, so when you went to St. Louis, uh, obviously some good teams there. Always a uh, playoff team. Um, who was in your playing days, whether it was in the WHA or the NHL, and let's, let's take Gretzky out of the fold. Cause he would obviously be your answer. Um, who was the most skilled player you believe you played with? Uh, that's a good question, but I, I would say that, uh, and, and Wayne was just an 18 year old. And, and so, you know, we, we found out how good Wayne was when we would, when we would have these, these, uh, after practices, we would bring the nets into the blue lines and play two on two or three on three after practices. We'd do that for hours. And then that's when we found out how good Wayne really was because he was just an 18 year old at the time and had a big target on him. And, and, uh, but still he just, you know, he did wonderful things. So, uh, you, you could see his greatness and that he was only going to get, you know, he was only going to achieve more as he got older. But, you know, but in St. Louis, you know, there was, you know, for me, there was nobody like Bernie. And, you know, his, he, he could do so many great things. And, uh, but the subtlety of some of the, some of some of the things that he did on the ice was really, was really impressive. How he could, you know, how he could take a hit behind the net, you know, protect the puck and then make a great pass to somebody. And that is, that is a skill that, um, that is so underrated and a lot of times unnoticeable. But they're, but the great players have, have, you know, have ways to do things like that. And, um, you know, that, you know, thinking ahead and, and yet, you know, in the middle of chaos and, you know, everything happening so fast and it being a physical game and especially back then when, you know, the game was played so much differently than it is now where you could hook and hold and chop people and, and do all that. And so, um, so even, I mean, I think, you know, the, the greatness of players, I think shows when, when they're having a bad night and they're not playing like they normally do and they're still a factor in the game. And that's, and that's what Bernie would do. And so, you know, he was certainly complimented with Brian Sutter. You know, on his left wing, and Brian could do so much, and uh, including help protect Bernie physically, um, but just his intensity and 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 Brian was a good goal scorer, as you you know when you look at his stats. I mean, and so uh, he could create space for Bernie, and then Bernie had a few, at least when I was there, you know, had a few other, you know, Blair Chapman on his right side, Tony Curry on his right side, and uh, Wayne Babbage every now and then, and so. Um, he was, uh, he, he was to me the most, uh, the most talented player. And then, of course, you know, the years Mike Leute had in goal, uh, in St. Louis were just fabulous. I mean, this, this was a guy that you just shook your head at when you, when it looked like it was going to be a sure goal by the opposition. Somehow, you know, he, he just never, never, ever, ever gave up on a play. And, uh, and that's why he was so beloved in St. Louis with the way he played and so beloved by his teammates because of all the pucks he stopped. 
So in uh, 1987, again, you uh, you you retired uh, from the NHL a little before that. You joined the Blues as an assistant coach with uh, Jacques Martin behind the bench. Next year, you mentioned Brian Sutter. You coached under him. Spent four years as an assistant coach. So I wanted to ask you if there's uh, any chance of if you think um, you'd ever want to get back behind the bench, or are you happy where you're at as a broadcaster? Yeah, not not at, not at this point, and I and I don't say that with a with a with a negative slant towards coaching because I because I there were some things about it that I loved, um, and you know it was and again that opportunity only came up because Barkley Plager got sick, mm-hmm. and uh, you know when Barkley um, now I was fortunate enough because my first year in St. Louis Barkley was the head coach, mm. and then and then. He flip flopped places with Red Berenson and Red, I love playing for Red also. And so, uh, Barkley was, was so great when he had time as an assistant to, to work with. And especially, and Barkley was never known as a great offensive player, but he was a really smart coach when it came to the power play and taught me an awful lot about the power play and how to run it. And, and, you know, what you should be thinking and where to get to the different places on the ice. And so, um, and so when, when Barkley got sick, uh, that, you know, that left a void in the coaching staff. And, um, and so I was, I was asked if I was interested in taking that role. And so I did. I left the broadcast booth and, and, uh, uh, and took that role. And, and I really enjoyed it because it was back in the, this was, back in the old days of when technology was so much different and I, you know, I would take the game tape, the old VHS, uh, game tape home with me and I would stay up until, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning breaking down the tape. And then you'd have to physically mark, uh, you know, the numbers on the counter that, you know, where you wanted to show someone whether it's a four check or a power play or whatever it was, and, and that was, you know, the old grinded out ways of using videotape to, to help coach. And so then you could, you know, you could have some good one-on-one time with players. And, uh, and so that was, I, I, I enjoyed that. I, I think the thing that, um, you know, with me, I, I was so used to basically being my own boss, uh, both in the investment world and, uh, even in, even the, the broadcasting I was doing. I mean, I had, I had no restriction. I mean, when I was with Dan Kelly, I mean, he, you know, he told me this is, you know, as I mentioned and told you some of the stories, you know, that I was learning how to work, but I didn't have anybody telling me what to do. I, that was up to me, you know, and once, once Dan got across what this was all about, then everything was up to me. I, I could work as much as I wanted to in order to get better, but I never had anyone said, you know, you got to do this and you have to do this. And that, you know, at three o'clock, you've got a, you know, you've got, you've, you've got this appointment. And so, um, so I had a lot of, I had a lot of freedom with, uh, with both jobs, both in the investment business and in the broadcast business. And so I found the coaching to be somewhat restrictive to a certain extent. Um, and, uh, you know, and it just, I just, I just felt that I needed to, you know, I needed to, uh, um, get back to kind of calling my own shots. And so I guess I, you know, at times I think you know, I could have been a little bit more patient 
and just wait for the opportunity. But and then again, that says nothing about working with Jacques Martin or Brian Sutter. I mean, they're you know both good friends and both you know really good coaches. And uh, Brian was you know he coached same way same way as a as a player, just a great teammate. And uh, but the thing I did learn is that there is a huge huge difference between being an assistant coach and being the head coach and being the guy that's got to take all this information and then the final decision is his. And so a lot of people don't understand that, but it's they're two totally different jobs. And so, um, again, it had nothing to do with, with them. They're just you know good people and good coaches, and uh, there was a, just strictly my decision. Uh, so again, you uh, you're with uh, MSG Network now. Um, you can uh, find Joe um, on uh, Rangers broadcast now. Correct? You're the color commentator, still with Sam Rosen. Is that right? Right. Right. Yep. Been together. Well, if we finish this year, this is our 14th uh, 14th season together. And um, and prior to that, when I when I was working Islander games for eight years, uh, I was with Howie Rose, who was a tremendously um, you know, underrated play-by-play man and uh, was wonderful to work with and has done Mets, uh, New York Mets radio now for just about his entire life and uh, continues to, to work at. So, again, I, I mentioned earlier how, you know, just, you know, when I just think of my career in the broadcast business, I think, okay, I have, I start with Dan Kelly and then Dave Hodge, who was fabulous Canadian broadcaster and so it just he was the Bob Costas of Canada he I worked with him in Minnesota he was the play-by-play man and then I and then Kenny and uh and then all the other people I I had a chance to work with you know Howie Rose you know Sam Rosen uh Kenny Albert you know the national games within Doc Emmerich Mike Mike Emmerich and I worked an awful lot in the 98 Olympics and uh, had a great experience doing two games a day, and it was high stress. But and we still get a chance to work together now and then. And John Forsland, and you know, I just I just been really really fortunate to be able to work with uh, so many talented people that that uh, that have made me better. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to ask you that. So you mentioned uh, the Olympics '94, '98, 2002, 2006, and 2010 is what I have listed. I'm sure you've Probably, uh, maybe we're, I don't know if you were involved in the uh, 14 or 18 Olympics, no, but no. no. 2010 was my, was the last Olympics I worked. Okay. So you've done a lot of Olympics, obviously covered a lot of good uh, NHL teams. Um, looking back at your career, and, and obviously it's not done. We still got plenty more years left of uh, hearing Joe McAlady on the microphone. But uh, what would you, um, what would you say is, is maybe the biggest moment or most exhilarating sports event you think you've covered? Well, I, you know, that's a, that's a really difficult question because, you know, I think I've, I think I've covered like 20 or 21, you know, something like that, uh, Stanley Cup finals. You know, the, the, I've done 17 or 18 all-star games. Um, you know, I've been so lucky, the, you know, the, uh, the Olympics, you know, I think the Olympics were probably, um, the most challenging, and and in the end, if you could if you could get stories, um, probably the most satisfying. 
hmm. because the Olympics are all about not, you know, not allowing people, you know, close to the players or the coaches. And some of the things I did, which were not very kosher when I was working them, uh, the things you do to try and get information to set yourself apart and set your broadcast apart, um, you know, was, you know, the first Olympics I worked was 94 in Lillehammer. And, you know, I like, and so as an example, so that was my first Olympics. I was working with, I didn't even mention Jiggs McDonald, who's a Hall of Famer, uh, who did all those years with the Islanders. But Jiggs and I worked together at the 94 Olympics. And, um, and my preparation for that was something that, you know, I started, I started talking to hockey people to see who they knew over in Europe. And, um, and so I, I put together this list, uh, and I was able to get, I was able to get phone numbers. And so for months, and like as an example, you know, we play a game in Edmonton. I go back to the hotel and then by the time I get back there, it's, you know, 11 o'clock at night, but now it's, you know, maybe seven, you know, five, six, seven o'clock in the morning in Europe. And so I'd wait until like one o'clock where it'd be seven o'clock or so or eight o'clock in the morning in Europe and start making phone calls and stay up most of the night in preparation for the Olympics. And I'd call Sweden and Finland and Czech Republic. And I've just, it was so great that, that all these people, and then I would ask after I talked to someone over there, uh, is there anyone else you know that I could talk to about the, about the German team or about the Swiss team or about, <laughs> and, and, uh, so I did that for about three months in preparation for that Olympics. And so by the end of it, um, you know, I just, I just kind of sat back and I said, you know what? This was, this was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. And I mean, it just proves to you all the hard work that you do. And then if you can, you know, get that information on the air and, uh, we had, we had fabulous coverage and Jigs was great and we had just a lot of information from, from the previous four or five months of, of work. And so, uh, from a satis- satisfaction standpoint, that was the biggest challenge and I think the greatest satisfaction. Yeah, I think um, the hard work you put into your broadcast, I think we can see it every night that you're broadcasting. Um, I think a lot of people... Take for granted, uh, again, you mentioned Darren Pang earlier, even John Kelly, the, the play-by-play, and just all the people who have put, um, you know, broadcasted Blues games and games across the league. Uh, it's a hard game to cover. So uh, seeing you put or hearing about all the uh, effort you put into it, I think uh, people can see, you know, in, when they watch your broadcasts that uh, it's not just, uh, you know, oh, I know hockey. I play the sport. You know, it's uh, – it's a little bit more than that, and I think it, it bleeds through pretty well. So, uh, Joe, this was uh, a lot of fun for me, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, best of luck to you with MSG Network. Is there anything – I want to give you plenty of time to tell our listeners if there's anything you'd like to promote, any side projects, social media account, anything like that uh, where people can find you. <laughs> you know, this is I've had this. – I've had this discussion, and – sometimes argument with, with, with many, many people <laughs> and over the years, including my, including my current employer, uh, MSG, uh, when Twitter became, you know, a hot topic and, 
you know, my bosses would have these meetings and they said, we, we, they'd say, we, we have to get you on Twitter. And I said, <laughs> why? Well, you know, fans want to hear from you and, you know, you need to get, and I said, I don't want to go on Twitter. <laughs> I have no, I have, I have no interest in going on Twitter. And well, why? I said, well, because by the time, you know, the time that I'm going to take to go on Twitter, um, you know, I can be doing something else. You know, I can be, I, I can be getting another story or I can be spending the time with my family. And I, and I've always thought, and it's, it's changed a lot. And don't get me wrong. I mean, Twitter is, is, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good place to get information. I know that. Um, but I, I have never had a Twitter account in my life. <laughs> I think a lot of it, a lot of times it's, it's, it's self-serving, mm-hmm. which I have, which I have no interest in. I, I, I don't care. Um, you know, they'd say, well, you know, you go to all the morning skates and you talk to coaches and you talk to players, you know, just, you know, we could just have you tweet something out. Or if you don't want to, we can have somebody else, you can tell them what you learned and then they can tweet. I said, oh, okay. So I'm going to have someone else write something and it's supposed to be coming from me. And I'm supposed to trust someone to do that. I said, I'm not doing it. And I said, here's the other thing. I said, have the company Twitter account tweet out that Joe was at the morning skate and he talked to some players and, and coaches and he's going to give you, he's going to give you the information tonight on the air. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and, and, and so anyway, that's, it's kind to you. Uh, but I've never been on social media. Um, I guess I'm an old dinosaur, but um, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, again, I, I guess the older you get, the more you, you value your time. And so, you know, if I have that extra time, I'm going to, you know, FaceTime with my grandkids or something. So, yep. Or my kids. And, and, uh, but, but I, I appreciate the, uh, the offer. Uh, but I'm all good. Okay. I'm, I'm all good. This was, this was great fun. And, uh, I, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about a lot of great people in St. Louis and, and some, uh, some wonderful experiences that I had. And so that, uh, that, that to me is what it's all, uh, what it's all about. And, I appreciate that, and I'm and I'm and I'm good with everything. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, we look forward to uh, hearing some of your calls. And for anyone who has uh, NHL TV or the Center Ice package, I'm not even sure if that's what it's called anymore for cable subscribers. Uh, make sure if you get a chance to watch MS, MSG Network, uh, tune into Rangers games uh, again. Joe is with Sam Rosen, who is a fantastic call himself. Uh, always good to hear from uh, from former Blues, former Blues analysts as well. So, Joe, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, listeners, this is Brandon Bullock. I know, I know, I'm a former Chicago Blackhawk, but I grew up in St. Charles, and I'm a St. Louis in at heart. My wife and I recently co-founded Dana Eve, a health and fitness company that offers convenient workouts for anyone, anytime, anywhere. My wife is also a former athlete. She played Division I college soccer and is now a certified personal trainer. Upon founding this business, we adopted the motto, you can change your life in less than 30 minutes a day. After years of constant wear and tear from her sport, Dana developed her own method of training, the DE method, which was designed to go where you go. Using your own body weight along with our Anywhere Gym, Dana will help you achieve lasting fitness in mind, body, and spirit, whether on the move or in the comfort of your own home. Visit www.danaeve.com to start your free trial. That's D-A-N-N-A-H-E-V-E. And we're back with uh, Let's Go Blues Radio. 
past to the future. This is the future segment of the show. I am uh, happy to be joined by Peter Harling. He's the content editor for Dauber Prospects, host of Dauber Prospects radio podcast, friend of friend of the show, Marcus Boudelier, who we've had on a couple times, and then a, a friend of mine as well I like to consider because we used to work together at thehockeywriters.com. Peter, thank you very much for joining the show. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for the invite. Oh, of course. Uh, so so how do you know Marcus? Oh, I from Frontenax Games. We both live in Kingston, and uh, he's uh, in the, the hockey writing gig as well as, as I am. So we've uh, we bumped into each other a number of times at, at Frontenax Games. How annoying was I as an editor? That's the next big question I wanted to ask you. <laughs> you know that was that seems like a hundred years ago that it really uh, was. We were at hockey writers. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, good times though. I got yeah, a lot to start there. Yeah, I think a lot of people do, and and places like Dauber Prospects. That's what's great about it. Um, you know, you write for for free and and volunteer your time on a site that has a large audience and platform, and it, it gives you an opportunity to do something and kind of start out on make your own mark and build your own brand. So sites like the Hyde, nothing but good experiences writing for them. Oh yeah. Agree. Yeah. We've, we've seen a couple people who, uh, who've kind of made it, uh, to where they want to go because of some of the stuff they've done with the hockey writers. So, uh, yeah, why don't go ahead and give them a little plug. Anybody who's uh, never checked out the hockey writers.com. It's a great site for, uh, and a, a friend of the show, uh, Steven ground, um, hosts the two guys, one cup podcast, Yes, Peter, that's the name of a blues podcast. It used to be Two Guys, No Cups, uh, <laughs> so they had to change their name. But, um, but yeah, he writes over there, so they do a good job. But, uh, but more importantly, Dauber Prospects and the Dauber Prospects radio podcast is where you can find Peter. Uh, he is a uh, – I consider him a fantasy expert, a young player expert, and uh, the, the angle we're going to take here today is kind of, uh, you know, what – what young player should be in your eye as a fantasy player on the Blues roster? So um, Peter and I were talking that there's a lot of Blues fans who like to just draft Blues players, and there's nothing wrong with that. But maybe you're thinking, okay, last round pick, who am I going to take a chance on? Do I go with Cairo? Do I go with Costin? There's going to be a couple other names that pop up that we'll talk about here, but uh, that's going to be kind of the basis of this conversation. So uh, right out of the gate here, Peter, I wanted to ask you, uh, in your mind, coming into camp for 2020-2021, who is the number one prospect, you think, uh, outside of maybe Cairo, uh, that's going to make the Blues' roster? Uh, I'd have to go with Scott Perunovic. Uh, he's signed his pro contract after playing in the NCAA for a couple of seasons. Uh, he's coming in hot. He's a two-time NCAA champion. He won World Junior Bronze. Uh, he was just named the Hobie Baker for the top player in all of college. Um, and he's, I think he's 21, 20, 21 years old now. So, you know, he's not like an 18-year-old rookie coming in. Uh, and I think he could be one of the Blues' top offensive defenseman uh, in a rookie season. Kind of almost as good on the same sort of lines as you saw last year with Makar and Quinn Hughes. That's uh, that's high praise coming about those two, with, with comparing him to those two guys. Now, Perunovic is a guy that we've, we've talked about on this show already a couple times, and uh, most importantly on one of our past the future episodes, he uh, he is a guy that's um, not just from Peter from around 
the hockey circles we're hearing a lot about. Um, what's most impressive about his game that you've seen? Um, I think any player that you know you're, you're giving high praise to has to check a couple of boxes to play at an elite level in the NHL these days. Uh, the number one would be um, 1-1-A, I guess you could say, would be skating ability. He's a very fluid skater. And the other one would be how fast they think the game. You can call that whatever you want, hockey smarts, hockey IQ, whatever. But as you move up each level from junior or NCAA to pro, AHL, or to NHL, the game gets so much faster. And and this half a second is a very long time. It makes a huge difference in your decision-making and how fast you can read the play and react. Uh, And Perunovic does does that very well. Um, It'll be curious to see how that translates too pro. I mean, you never really know until they get there. Uh, and I don't think he's got even one game of pro hockey under his belt yet because the season ended short. So, um, but those are, I think, his, his, two of his, his better assets, skating and, and how fast he processes the game. So defensively, uh, what do you see in him? And for those of you that don't play fantasy, maybe you're wondering, well, we could use a guy who's pretty good defensively. What, do, what are your thoughts on his game on that aspect? If you're not in fantasy, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, of course, he's. Uh, I, I mentioned his uh, ability to create offense, but it takes more than that to make your way onto a World Junior roster or to get consideration as a Hobie Baker winner if you're a defenseman. Just scoring points isn't enough. You, you can't be a liability. You know, it's a complete kind of package. Um, and when you think the game as well as he does – you understand your your responsibilities, and it allows you to to, to be uh, a more effective defenseman because you can anticipate where the puck's going and be prepared there. When players go to dump it in, you're kind of already in your mind going that way, and before he even shoots the puck, you're already thinking, okay, so once I retrieve it, what are my outlet options? Um, and that's the kind of stuff that I need to know how smart he is and how you, you think and process the game. It's like chess you're always, or a game of pool. You're always thinking about a, a couple of shots after the one you're making or a couple of moves after the one you're making right away. So that will translate well to his ability to play defense. Now, somebody that uh, we definitely want to talk about here, especially in terms of fantasy, is uh, Jordan Cairo, a guy who stepped in uh, this past season. And, uh, well, he was told at one point by Doug Armstrong he just, he just needs to find a place to live in St. Louis because he is staying put. Um what are your thoughts on Jordan Cairo in, in terms of being a uh, fantasy hockey pick? Uh, so he's going to cut his teeth in the NHL. Um, and he's already got, um, I think he played about 30 games in the NHL so far. So, you know, he's not a spring chicken. He's got uh, two full seasons of pro under his belt now. And, you know, coming from Sarnia in his final year, he was a 100-point player. Um 10 points in seven games for Canada at the World Junior. So I look at things like, you know, ability to score that many points in the World Junior playing against the, your elite peer group. Um, that bodes really well. He's about a point a game as a rookie in the AHL uh, in his first season. Uh, and then follow that up again this year with um, point a game in the AHL. And then, um, you know, nine points in 28 games uh, for... You know, 21 year old, I think he is maybe. Uh, that's that's pretty impressive. So, 
I, there's certainly some fantasy relevancy on his file. I think what you want to do, though, is take a look at the Blues depth chart and think, okay, so he's got center right wing eligibility. How far up the depth chart can he go? Who does he have to knock out to get a top six role? Um, is that in the cards for him this season? And then, of course, as well, what kind of deployment will he get on the power play? So you got a good preview of that last season. You can go to whatever fantasy site, um, Daily Faceoff or Dauber's Frozen Pools, and you can see what his line combinations were for the end of the season. And, you know, if he's playing on fourth line, then maybe you want to temper your expectations a little bit. But if he was playing with top six players, then, you know, you maybe might be able to get a good value out of him if people are sleeping on him a little bit because they're not so familiar with him. So everybody's, uh, most people who have listened to this podcast have probably seen him play at least one game. Uh, speed, quick hands, all of that, uh, just just the whole package offensively, at least in the AHL, we've seen him uh, be able to pull off some great stuff, but uh, still, uh, still waiting for that to happen in the NHL. Uh, when you see a player like Jordan Cairo, who's kind of excelled in every... Uh, level of hockey and uh, like you said not too bad uh point not too bad point totals right now in the nhl um what do you uh what what would you, what do you tell fans who are maybe concerned by him not coming in and, and lighting up the scoreboard right away uh do you think this is a, a just kind of wait and see what you got thing or or do you think uh this is the kind of player we're going to see you know a nine points in 28 games uh i think you should see an uptick in his point-per-game production. Uh, the biggest jump you can make is going from junior hockey to the AHL, um, or straight to the NHL. But it's a bigger jump going from junior to the A than it is going from the AHL to the NHL. So you look at how he, like I said, how he produced in the OHL was impressive, 100 points. Um, but there's 16-year-olds in that league, right? Um, so you kind of... And that was in his final year. So he's a 19-year-old. He's a senior in the league. So you would expect him to put up a significant amount of points, and he did. But then can he carry that over into a tournament like the World Juniors on a team like Canada that is extremely deep? And it's not like you got a player coming out of the CHL scoring a point for game for Belarus <laughs> because he's the only player they have, right? He had a tremendous quality of competition to get significant ice time in that tournament. And he lit it up, 10 points, right? Uh, and then, like I said, he lit it up in the AHL. So I, I'm confident that he'll have the ability to, once he's got his feet wet, once he's gained the confidence and trust of the coaches, once he's kind of learned the ropes and maybe starts getting a, a bit of a playbook on some of the players in the NHL and knowing what to expect. Um, I mean, he's, this is only his second year at the pro level, so he's getting pretty seasoned now. Um, look for him to have... Uh, a, a much more productive season uh, in his sophomore year in the NHL or full rookie season. I think it may be because he only played 28 games, something like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, Clem Costin's another name that uh, blues fans have been come, become pretty familiar with uh, saw his, uh, his first little cup of coffee in the NHL scored a goal even uh, this past season. But um, people keep wondering, because I think a lot of people expected him to step in a lot sooner and being an NHL contributor, but he has not gotten to that point yet. Do you think that 2020-2021 is the year he makes that jump? Right. So my my thoughts on him go all the way back to the draft and how he was um, 
expected to be you know close to a top 10 pick this is the year that the nhl uh had the uh the green room and uh so he's sitting backstage and he almost didn't get picked in the first round he was um picked 31st overall um so and then having interviews with people like Bob McKenzie at the draft, I was asking, so who are some players you can think could step into the NHL right away? And everyone was saying, you know, Clem Costin in that group. He's big, he's strong, he can he can play two ways, he's versatile, um, he's NHL ready. Okay, so you have high expectations for the draft, and then he gets almost missed in the first round. But everyone, everyone comes back and says, that's okay, not sure what happened there, but expect him to be in the NHL right away. Well, you know, and now you fast forward three years later and he still hasn't made it and he's got four games played. Um, and he's been okay in the AHL, right? Like 20, 30 point kind of guy in the mm-hmm. AHL. So that's not tremendous, but depending on what kind of league you're in, um, maybe you need to just reassess what you're projecting with him to find the right value. Is he going to come in and be a top six player and score 80 points in the NHL? I would say no. Could he come into the NHL and have, um, you know, 10 or 20 goals and then 80, 90 penalty minutes in a season and give you about one to two hits per game and give you a whole bunch of peripheral stats if that's the kind of league you're in? Hell yes. And I think that he's paid his dues at the AHL. Um, I haven't seen a lot of San Antonio AHL games living in, in Eastern Canada, but, um, you know, from all the reports I read and from what I have seen and watching him in the World Juniors last year, uh, he looks like he's developing quite nicely. And I don't think there's a problem with players adjusting to pro hockey in North America. And keep in mind, he's also coming from Russia. So not only did he have to adjust to pro hockey at smaller rinks in, in North America, but there's the whole language thing, the culture, the food, um, quite a bit. So the fact that he hasn't full-time made the NHL after three seasons isn't a red flag for me. Uh, if I drafted him with the hope and expectation um, back in his draft year in, in 2017 that he would be contributing to my fantasy roster right away, sure, I'd be very disappointed that I've been you know, rostering him for three seasons and not gotten any production out of it. Right. Um, but if, I, if I'm in a draft that, uh, that he's available in this year, he would absolutely be in my radar, and he's a player that I would expect to still maybe play a little bit in the AHL because the Blues are they're a very good team, right? The defending Stanley Cup champion, so it's a tough roster to crack. But uh, I think he's ready. So uh, another Russian that we want to talk about here is uh, Nikita Alexandrov. He was a 2019 second-round pick for the Blues, 62nd overall. Uh, someone we'll talk about uh, a little more in depth uh, in a future show. But uh, I do want to talk to you about him in uh, in your terms of what you've seen from him and and what you like most about his game. Right. So he had uh, he had a very nice season. He I watched him play the the two games in the Canada Russia Super Series, which for anyone who's not familiar with it is a little uh, uh, a little mini exhibition tournament that happens in uh, in the CHL where uh, Russia sends over their they're players that they're auditioning for a world junior roster spot. And they add and subtract players as they play across the CHL. They play two games in the Q, two in the O, and two in the dub. And and so he made the Russian team for the two games that they played against 
um, QMJHL All-Stars, basically. And it's the same thing for Canada. They use this tournament as a, as a, as a final audition and a showcase for the, the World Juniors. Um, and he was impressive. Not quite as impressive as uh, Hovanov and Zavgorodny where they just absolutely dominated those games. Um, but he looked really great. He put up a point, and it helped earn him a spot on the Russian World Junior roster, where he didn't disappoint there either. He put up eight points in seven games in the tournament for Russia. Uh, he's been a point-a-game player for the last two seasons in the QMJHL, playing for the Charlottetown Islanders, and he wore a letter this season as well. Uh, I've Pretty sure he's got one more season to go. He's only 19. Um, so I think he's got one more year to go of junior eligibility. He's played three seasons. I'm not sure if he missed his first year of eligibility playing back in uh, in Europe. Um, and, and he is a signed prospect, so I'd have to do a little research to see if he's got another year of, of CHL eligibility. If he does, then I would put him on your do not draft list this year unless you're prepared to wait multiple seasons for him but if this is the year that he's turning pro then that kind of changes things a little bit um Mm. he'll have some some seasoning in the ahl to be sure at least a season um but uh you might get a a pretty good preview of what he's what he's got at training camp uh nhl exhibition i don't know if they have that this year uh (laughs) yeah we'll see (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or whenever that all comes back. Uh, but he's a good, little bit undersized. You know, he's not a big guy, 5'11", so he's not too small. Um, and he's got a pretty good skill level, and he's smart. He thinks the game fast, and uh, he's reliable defensively as, as well. So those are some things that I think translate well for him to pro hockey. So uh, something that I'm going to make sure I share with our listeners. Um, so make sure you check out our social media channels uh, because I'm going to share an article that uh, Peter was involved in for all the uh, Dauber Prospects uh, 2020, 2021 Dauber Prospects organizational rankings 25 through 20. And uh, number 25 ranks the St. Louis Blues. And uh, you mentioned in a part of the overview that uh, the Blues have not had much success drafting outside of their second round, but uh, they hope to buck that trend with their 2018 draft. And uh, for fans that may not realize, that includes Joel Hofer, uh, Hugh McGing, uh, 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 I forget Lafayette's first name, and Tyler Tucker, who uh, is somebody that we've talked about on the show and we're very high on. But uh, I want to talk to you mostly about goaltending. So we mentioned uh, uh, Joel Hofer in that, a late-round late pick, and everybody kind of knows what happened there in the World Juniors uh, when he kind of stole the show for Canada to win gold. Uh, what are your thoughts on Joel Hofer? And obviously, he's got quite the mountain to climb. You know, we've we've seen Jordan Biddington step in and be the number one goalie for the Blues. Jake Allen is still uh, backing him up, and then you got Billy Husso and Evan Fitzpatrick in uh, the AHL Springfield team. Uh, so, where does uh, Joel Hofer sit? in terms of uh, quality goaltenders in, uh, amongst the Blues, and uh, do you see him taking a crack at the NHL anytime soon? Um, okay, so, yeah, I can see him taking a crack at the NHL. He's got uh, three seasons of junior under his belt, so he'll be back in the dub this year. Um, so that's something you can you can look for there. He is a signed prospect, though, and... With the the players that the St. Louis already has in goal, there, there's no rush on this player. 
So my first thought is a lot of people think that he's just come out of nowhere. It's like, who's this Joel Hoffer guy? He made Team Canada, and then he kind of stole the job away from uh, Nico Dawes after he a little bit, and they threw in Hofer as the backup, and, and he kind of ran with it and took him to gold, which is true. That's how it happened, but it's not like he kind of came out of nowhere. He was already a St. Louis Blues draft pick, a fourth-round pick, which is not insignificant, and goalies tend to not get a lot of respect or love at the draft. They almost never go in the first round, um, and that's right about when you start seeing your, your run-on goalies going after the, the second round, so... Uh, so he's got a, a pretty decent pedigree. Uh, his performance in the WHL really improved this season, uh, playing with, with Portland. Um, his, his goals against average dropped below three for the first time in two years. Um, but, you know, he made Team Canada for a reason. Team Canada was aware of, of how good he was. It wasn't by default because... They didn't have anybody else. There's a lot of other good Canadian goaltenders in the system that they could have gone with. Uh, so he's a player that I that I like, and I think he's got a good upside. Um, but goalies take a while, um, so I would expect that you know he'll go back into the CHL this season, and then he'll probably play in the ECHL the year after that. That's pretty pretty standard SOP for goalies coming out of junior, though, because you can only play two per team, right? And you look at what San Antonio's got in goal. Um, in their minor league system already, like I said, Huso and Fitzpatrick are are options that are a little bit more seasoned that are ahead of him on the depth chart for now. But I think you might consider Joel Hoffer as having maybe a higher long term upside uh, potentially. There's still a lot of development to happen between now and then, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities. So now we ranked him fifth out of our top ten prospects for the Blues. Now. Uh, this is a fantasy ranking, and so we take into consideration things like age, and so Evan Fitzpatrick and Billy Huso uh, are a lot more older and established. Um, they're closer to the NHL, but their upside is is maybe a little bit more in focus than Hofer's is. Um, so we kind of lean towards Hofer as being the, the higher fantasy upside at this point. So I wanted to ask you one more question, Peter, before we wrap up. Um, and I'm going to kind of throw you a knuckleball here, but I know you, I know your style. I know you're ready for it. Um, in terms of the 2021, I'm sorry, 2020, 2021 season for fantasy in all of the NHL, if somebody's wanting to make a dark horse pick for somebody who's going to maybe challenge for the Calder or maybe even somebody who's already in the league that uh, could just put up a ton of points that's young, uh, who would your if you want to list a couple players, that's fine. But uh, anyone come to mind off off the bat here? Uh, wow, that's is catching me off guard. I am. Um, I'm that kind of guy. What can I say? Yeah, that's all right. I think what you want to do is is you want to look at um, what's their opportunity, right? So who's a player that's that's maybe graduating a prospect that's graduating to the NHL. Um, and and has an opportunity in that organization that doesn't have a lot of roster blockers. So some of the challenges I, I mentioned earlier with the Blues was, you know, they're the defending Stanley Cup champions. They have a deep roster. It's hard for rookies to crack that that team. Um, so Morgan Frost is a player that I'm that I'm pretty high on. Um, he does have a little bit of quality of competition in Philadelphia, but if you just look at what he's done throughout his career. Uh, he seems pretty destined to be a high fantasy impact player in the NHL. Um, 
the, the Russian goalie trio, Ilya Sorokin, Igor Shosturkin, and Samsonov in Washington, those three guys, I think, are in short order going to win out starting roles on their respective teams. With Samsonov, you're looking at uh, whether or not they sign Holpe, who's a, a UFA after the season, is going to be a, a challenge there. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov is maybe an under-the-radar player for someone who isn't in real, real deep fantasy leagues. He's been a Minnesota Wild property for a while. He's been playing over in the KHL, lighting it up, leading that league in scoring, and uh, is coming over to North America. One thing I'll, I'll, I'll caution people about, depending on what happens with the start of the NHL season, if they don't start until you know in the new year, we're talking like January or whatever, and all the European seasons start the regular time in the fall, you know, September, October. Um, there's a lot of players who I think will elect to play the whole season in Europe because they can start getting paid right away. They can just get back and start playing. I think that competitive edge um, could be uh, a deciding factor on, on where a lot of players play the season. And the KHL doesn't have an out clause. So you've got guys like Kaprizov, who I'm not sure if he's signed or not, but he said, I'm coming to the NHL next year once his KHL contract expires, and it just did. But now with the whole COVID lockout and the way the NHL's season is going, if he can't play in the season until January, like, man, the KHL season will be almost over by then. So expect him to, to go back there and, and play. So that's something to look out for. Um, who else? Off the top of my head. Uh, the bunch of players that have come out of um, college, um, I like those players because you know they've got a, a year or two of development and a year and a, sorry in a league that that has players who are, are over 20 years old as opposed to the CHL where they they max out at 19-20. So I think it's a little bit easier of a transition in terms of, of quality of play going from the NCAA into pro hockey. But a big difference there is the schedule. You know they just play on on weekends. And then when you go pro, especially in the NHL, I mean, you're playing three, four games a week sometimes. Uh, so that that's an adjustment. So AHL players can come into the NHL hot, but as the season carries on, the grind catches up to them, and they kind of hit a wall. Uh, so that might be something to keep in mind for your fantasy roster as well. How's that for an answer, Jeff? that's exactly what I wanted. It, it blew me away, Peter. That was fantastic. Uh, do want to uh, give you a little, little update because you know, the, the beauty of technology as, as you're, uh, you were answering my question, I was able to look up last reports were that uh, Kaprizov and Sorokin uh, were still planning on, on signing their NHL entry level contracts, but there are many rumors floating around that they will sign one more season in the KHL because of uh, the likely delay in the 2020-2021 season. So uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. I think I think uh, you, you will agree. It'd be great to see those guys in the NHL next season. But, you know, nothing we can do about that with uh, this this new world that we're living in uh, nowadays. One, um, one more sleeper I just thought of, actually, uh, is a player coming out of Europe. Leafs signed him, Miko Lettinen. Um He's uh, an offensive defenseman, led the KHL in scoring for D last year. And then, you know, if you look at the Leafs roster, and I was talking about uh, what their what their roster chart looks like, and then half of their defense is unrestricted free agents going into the season. I, I doubt they're going to re-sign Tyson Berry, so there opens up a top four 
role for this kid. And he's an offensive defenseman, so he's got the ability to step onto a team like Toronto into a top four role and a power play position potentially as well. Uh, and Toronto's a prolific offensive team, so there's a lot of uh, potential fantasy upside on, on a player like that. Um, yeah. And if you're in a keeper-capped league, um, he's on his ELC, so you get him for a song. That's not bad at all. Yeah, I, he was. That was a very praised move when that happened. Because uh, yes, I think everyone will agree that if the Maple Leafs had a stronger D, they'd be pushing more for a Stanley Cup. But uh, that's that's a conversation for another show. Uh, Peter, thank you very much for coming on the show. I want to give you plenty of time here to tell our listeners uh, if they're interested in any talk about fantasy or prospects, uh, where they can find your work at Dabber Prospects. Um, as well as uh, where they can find your podcast and maybe even interact with you on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so I, uh, I write for Dauber Prospects. I'm the uh, content manager there. And one of the, the couple of the latest things that have been happening there is we released our fantasy hockey prospect report. Uh, you can find that on either Dauber Hockey or Dauber Prospects. Just click the shop button and you can buy that, uh, subscribe to that PDF. Uh, it is a super, super useful uh, tool uh, if you're looking for prospects in fantasy hockey. It includes, you know, the top prospects for each team, and the review on them is all just totally geared towards fantasy hockey. Um, and it has about the top 100 players for uh, the, the upcoming draft, the 2020 draft. Um, I just put out a massive series of articles that you just referenced, the organizational rankings. Um, it's a series of about five to six teams per post, and it includes their uh, prospect depth chart, top 10 prospects, other fantasy-relevant prospects, and then an overview of, of what the organization looks like, where they're at in their evolution of, of player and prospect development, what's their history like, who are some of their little further breakdown on some of their top fantasy relevant prospects. And then of course, um, I do a podcast, Dauber Prospects Radio. Um, I'm a little bit sporadic with the, the release schedule of episodes. Uh, I banged out a whole bunch when I was on COVID retirement, but now I'm back to my day job. Uh, so things have kind of, kind of slowed back down again. Uh, but some of my recent episodes include an interview with, uh, Steve, Steve Seftel, who just posted or published a book called Shadow. We talk about a number of really important topics that are relevant right now, like hazing and, and junior hockey and, and mental health and post-career. Um, so I really enjoyed that conversation with Steve that went out yesterday. And Erie Otters just hired a, a, a new scout. Her name is Kiana Scott. She's the first female OHL scout in that league's history. Uh, and she's a woman of color too, so she's just breaking all kinds of barriers. I had a fun conversation with her, um, and uh, yeah, you can catch that on Dauber Prospects Radio. Is the podcast? It's uh, it's pretty much anywhere you get your podcast from Apple, um, Spotify, etc. Uh, so DPR underscore Show is the Twitter handle for that, and my Twitter handle is uh, is Farling, P H A R L I N G, and. Uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Peter. I appreciate you coming on, and it's always nice uh, catching up with you. Yeah, right on, Jeff. Thanks very much. Yep. Well, I again want to thank Joe and Peter for joining the show. 
Uh, make sure you check out letsgoblues.com for multiple reasons. That's our show page, letsgoblues.com slash radio. And then, of course, the letsgoblues.com shop where you can find shirts and stickers uh, that Kurt puts out. And uh, we've had a couple buyers recently because Kurt's been putting some good stuff out. So make sure you check that out. Uh, also, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen over at letsgoblues.com slash radio, as I mentioned. And also, if you are on Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating, leave us a review, and uh, help people find the show, because that's what that's doing. Twitter handles for the show. Uh, the show Twitter can be found at LGB Radio. Kurt Price is at Kurt Price. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note. And myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at Ponder. Nine four. The next show, as I say every week, stay tuned because uh, if there's anything that breaks here in the NHL, which um, you know we're in the middle of phase two, phase three is right on the horizon. Uh, we will be doing live shows to uh, to welcome in the the new playoff tournament, I guess you could call it, uh, for the end of the 2019-2020 season. So uh, Kurt and Bill are kind of on standby every week. If there's anything that happens, uh, they are more than happy to jump on and have a live show with me and uh we'll we'll be doing that again as as news breaks but if not uh i got a couple other interviews lined up one of them being former blues defenseman jeff brown son logan currently in the nhl and then of course we've got a couple interviews already lined up with greg boyson of the hockey writers who has really helped us out a ton with the future portion of these episodes so uh greg and then we've got a couple others too but greg most notably best friend of the show as i like to call him well that will conclude this episode of let's go blues radio uh for bill day and kurt price i am your host jeff ponder and telling you once again let's go blues uh the chiefs are at home tonight against cyanosport at the war memorial at eight good seats are still available I think that went very well. Thank you for listening to Let's Go Blues Radio. Now take off, hosers. Well, there's 90 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Sorry. (laughs) St. Louis Blues, St. Louis Blues, have you heard the news about our St. Louis Blues? They've only just begun, they're on their way to number one. Now there's no more blues for our St. Louis Blues. Blues are on the ice tonight again. They're rough and tough and got the stuff to win. They'll always get one more, no matter what the score. They are quite a hockey team, my friend.